You know, I, I, I just told Tammy, I've told her all this month, I said, sweetheart, something has to grow in me for me to get to the place where God wants me to continue to do, you know, what he's called me to do. And, you know, there's sometimes you have a banner moment. And I just want to thank the worship team today for being obedient to where God was leading you. Um, I, I tell you, something sparked inside of me that will enable me to do 31 more years. This October, Tammy and I have been doing this for 31 years. I know we had our 30th anniversary last year. It just kind of flew by. But uh, in, a, in order to be able to do that, man, you've got to be so connected to where God would have you to be or it just doesn't happen. You know, some of you have said, Pastor, you've been losing weight. And it's like, yeah, you know, I have. You know, because when John the Baptist said, less of me and more of you, <laughs> I really have felt like, what if God called me to go into Afghanistan and rescue Christians? And I've been driving around mowing my grass with that thought in my mind. God, what do you have in store for me? Well, you know, I can't be overweight. I can't be out of shape. I can't be where I am right now. I can't be like this. I've got to do, I got to be prepared for the next place that you're calling me. And in all of us, what are you preparing for? What are you preparing to wake up tomorrow and survive? If that's what you're doing, you're, you, you don't know Jesus to the point of knowing him to the place where he transforms your life. Life isn't about waking up the next day and surviving. Life is about uh, doing what God has called us to do, embracing what God has gifted us to do, and then pouring everything we have into that. Now, that doesn't mean that life doesn't, you, you don't do your family thing, you don't do your job thing, you don't do all that stuff, but there's something that happens when God speaks so deep into your heart that he compels you to move into the place where you will labor for him. You know, last Sunday, I'm, I'm going to try to do this <laughs> because I'm telling you, man, I could just sit on that floor right now and just bask in the presence of the Lord. Uh, maybe you guys didn't notice the anointing, but wow, wow. Whew. Last Sunday when Tammy and I left church, we like to do things and um, you know, that are a little unusual and abnormal. So we were going to have lunch uh, afterwards, and we were doing the what do you want to do, what do you want to eat, what do you want to eat. I know none of y'all do that either when you guys get done. Uh, but we decided we'd go to Logan, and we would eat at Millstone, that barbecue place down there right before you get off to go to Old Man's Cave. We love that place, and I don't know why we love it or we just do. I, it's probably those little corn muffins that I can't eat anyway right now, but I like them anyway. I would have eaten one of them. But we, we rolled into there, and uh, there's nobody in the parking lot. And we were like, what in the world? So we rolled up to the place, and it said, due to the fact that we can't get anyone to work, we can't even open the restaurant. So we drove across the street to another place that we had not been before. There were a few cars in the parking lot. And we went up there, and I said, baby, they got a sign on the door, too. Same thing. They said, due to the fact that we can't get anyone to work, that we can't open our restaurant today. I was at breakfast yesterday, uh, first watch with Jim, and, and uh, when we pulled in, Chick-fil-A, the new Chick-fil-A has a giant sign there that says, you know, we're hiring. 
How many of you have looked around right now and every place you go, you see they're hiring? Uh, Kroger's running ads right now. You can work in the Kroger warehouse and make $21.45 an hour to work in the Kroger warehouse. And you can get like a $1,200 bonus if you just come to work. I mean, people just can't get anyone to work. We were uh, reading a, a Texas Roadhouse, the best place to eat in Lancaster. I mean, and they are managed properly. It's phenomenal. Their food is off the chain. I mean, it is really good food. They have said now that, number one, they stopped opening at 12 o'clock. They could only open at 3 o'clock. Now they're saying there's only so many workers. We have to shut down half of the places that you can be seated so prepare for a longer wait because we can't get anyone to work. It's just like the most crazy thing that you could ever think about. Nobody to work. How can that be? Nobody to work. There's all this money on the table out there, but there's no motivation to go to work. No motivation to go to work right now. And I thought, well, that's an interesting dilemma that we have in the earth right now. But Jesus had the exact same dilemma. Right. Exact same dilemma. In Matthew chapter 9, turn there if you would with me. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has the exact same problem. And it's interesting when we read this text, I'm going to flesh this thing out for a little bit today. Because number one, I'm thrilled to be in the pulpit again. Hallelujah. I mean, Pastor Caleb's series on Philippians, off the chain. I mean, amazing. Miss Tammy's message yes, or last Sunday was incredible. I mean, just a great job. I'm so proud of my wife. But Gina said, I watched you last week, Pastor, looking at your wife, and you were so proud of her. And yes, I was. You know, we've only been married 41 years this November. We're kind of still in our honeymoon stage. You know what I mean? I mean, I, she still comes in the room and my heart skips a beat. And man, I tell you, there's nobody I want to be with more than her. Uh, she's just an amazing, an amazing individual. So in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 35... It says this, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, I get stoked when I read that. I'm thinking there is nothing, no stone that was unturned. Jesus met every need. He did everything. He was He's just like, if you think the Marvel movies are cool, they should make a Jesus movie and make it time after time after time of all the great things that Jesus did. I mean, they should be able to make a series out of that. And then in verse 36, it says this, but, everybody say but. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, he said, guys, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are so few. He said, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Send out laborers into the harvest. In other words, that, that Jesus was doing the same thing. 
I don't know if they had the little signs back in his day that he could put them out on every corner that said, laborers needed. Laborers needed. But it kind of reminded me of a little work situation that I heard about with Billy Graham the other day. When Billy Graham was 87, he flew in to a private airport, and for the first time ever, somebody picked him up in a limousine. And so he's getting ready to get in this limo, and he gets ready to open the door. He stops, and he goes to the young man with the limo. He goes, you know what? I'm 87 years old, and I've never driven a limousine. He said, I would just be thrilled if you'd let me drive this limousine. And so the guy's like, hey, you're Billy Graham. If that's what you want to do, I'll get in the back seat. And he said, and by the way, young man, he goes, I'd really be honored if you'd let me wear that hat that you wear too to, so I could be up here and driving that limousine. So Billy Graham departs from the airport. He gets on the freeway, and he's just loving life. But the next thing he knows, he sees a siren in behind him, and he looks down. He's going 71 in a 55, and he's like, oh, my, oh, my goodness. I'm speeding, and that officer has pulled me over and I'm going to have to bear the consequence of my sin. And so the guy pulls him over this stretch limo. He's a young officer, and he gets out, and, you know, he's going to do his cop thing, and he says, can you roll down your window, sir, and uh, license and registration? So he looks in there, and he goes, oh, my gosh, that's Billy Graham. And he's like, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, uh, you, well, no, no, I, I was speeding. I have to do this, and he gives him his license and registration he goes well stand right just sit right there and I'll be back in just a moment so he goes back and he radios into the office and he says to the he said give me the sergeant I got something really important and sergeant gets on and he goes what happened do we need to send backup and he goes no no I got an even deeper situation than needing backup he said I just pulled somebody over, and I know that you have drilled in us at the academy that you are not to give special treatment to any celebrities. And he goes, but you're not going to believe what, I just ha what just happened. He said, what? He goes, I pulled over a limousine, and Billy Graham is the chauffeur driving him around. I know we're not supposed to give anybody special treatment, but if Billy Graham is driving the limousine, it must be Jesus Christ in the back seat. <laughs> You just never know what you're going to run into, do you? You just never know when you're working what's going to happen. You just never know what's going to happen. You know, when Jesus was doing what he was doing, the world's population was around 150 million. Today, our population is, is over 6 billion. The population of the United States is somewhere around 335 million right now. Can you imagine when Jesus was speaking these words, he was prophesying into something into the future that he knew if he had trouble getting laborers to serve a population of 150 million, what kind of possibility would we have to get enough people to serve a population of 6 billion people? Why did Jesus come to this point? Why did he say these things that he said? Why, why was he, he moved with such compassion? Well, I think if, if you're going to understand why Jesus was moved with such great compassion, that you've got to go back to Matthew chapter 8. You've got to see where he was at, what he was doing. Now, we're not going to, you, you can turn there, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, we're just going to fly by. 
and look at this. In, 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 in Matthew chapter 8, it says Jesus cleanses a leper. He was touching somebody that nobody would even get within 50 feet of. If a leper was on the right side of the street, you would be on the left side of the street, but not Jesus. Jesus reached out and touched a leper. The next thing he did is, is a centurion soldier, a Roman, came to him and told him about a, a, a prayer need that he had, somebody that needed to be healed, and, and Jesus stopped, and, and he took care of that need. Next he goes, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick and, and needs somebody uh, to touch her, and so Jesus healed her of her fever. And in that same evening, it says many other people came to him, demon-possessed, all kinds of people who were sick, and he healed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get into the end of a ministry day, you're wore out. I mean, you're just wore out. I can remember one time when we were uh, preaching in Cuba. We had meetings all day long, and then they drove me down to a place called Trinidad, and, and uh, I thought that I was just going to witness something or to do, I didn't know what I was doing, but we get there in five minutes, the guy says, oh, yeah, you're preaching. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I, I was so excited. It, I didn't care if I had five minutes to prepare because I've already learned that Jesus has already prepared me because he came to live in my heart, and if he wanted me to be at meeting, then he would speak through me. Amen. So go to that meeting. It's the most incredible meeting. I've told you about it. People filled with Santeria. I just start preaching about the word of God. People are falling out in the aisles, screaming, and people are being delivered demonically. We have 400 people at this meeting. And I said to them, if you want an extra touch from Jesus, just come forward. And the whole place moved forward one row. And the, the interpreter says, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to pray for each and every one of them until we... He goes, do you realize it's about 90 degrees in here? And I said, I don't care how hot it is. We're going to touch every person who wants to be touched. So we drive back, then all the way back to Santi Espiritus. It's, it's midnight now, and we're, I'm thinking this is going to be nice. I'm going to go take a shower next to those cockroaches that are in this bathroom with me, and, I, and the water pipe coming out of the wall, and it's all going to be freezing cold water, and I'm so thankful for it. But no, there's a hot meeting going on. And so uh, uh, we pull in there, and Pastor Chuck says, buckle your seatbelt, brother. There is, this is the craziest meeting I've ever been in. God is doing so many amazing things. So I he goes, come here in prayer with me. And so uh, up comes the lady that's green and sweaty, and, and the people tell us, don't touch them, don't touch them. And, and so we looked at each other, and of course, what did we do? We touched her, and God blasted her. And we could just feel healing and just um, an amazing, is it okay if we tell good stories about Jesus and testify about how powerful he is? Well, good. I'm glad you're interested. So anyway, we, we continue just to pray for her. And then nine months later, I come back, look at this lady. And you know, I never stare at women because I got the best woman ever. And so I just couldn't take my eyes off her. And I was feeling weird about it. It was like I was a creeper, you know, I'm like... <laughs> And so I'm like, Jose, who is this lady? He goes, oh, we forgot to tell you. That's the lady who, when you prayed for her, she had AIDS. But uh, a month later, she went back to the doctor, and she was completely healed of AIDS. So not, not if that wasn't, yeah, I, mean, I would say that too. Woo! We all need some, we need some AIDS healed these days, amen? I mean, it might not be AIDS, but we got all kinds of stuff that needs healed. So anyway, so then we stroll back at about 1.30 to the pastor's house, and we're just talking like, like old football players, you know, man, I scored three touchdowns tonight, or I, three people got healed, and I preached in a meeting, and went crazy, I'm telling them, they're telling me, and, and uh, so, and then we, we hear this. 
And so the pastor comes back. We're on our room. He goes, hey, there's a guy here that would like to be prayed for. He's blah, blah, blah. So a guy comes in, then another person comes in. And for the next three hours, the doors knock. And one of them was a pastor's wife who had a a baseball-sized tumor in her breast and said, I'm going to die if God doesn't heal me. So we prayed for her, and the next day she came to breakfast at our house with a pea-sized tumor in her breast, and she was elated, but we weren't. And we said, if God can take a baseball to a pea, he can take a pea to nothing. We began to pray for her. The pea was gone as well. And so God was healing her. What, why am I saying that? Because ministry is exhausting. We got to bed at like 4.30, up at 6. Thank God they make those Cuban espressos that put hair on your chest. And when you drink them, they're like, it's the strongest, craziest coffee I've ever drank in my life. But what, why am I saying this? Because this is then Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. There's a cost to discipleship. There is. And then the next thing he does, two demon-possessed men are healed. Uh, and, and then in chapter 9, it says Jesus, uh, they, they bring the guy in, the paralytic in the bed, and Jesus touches him and says, be of good cheer, your, your sins are forgiven, you're healed. He gets into a confrontation with Pharisees. He calls Matthew the tax collector in, in uh, verse 9. Uh, and then he goes in and has a debate again with the uh, uh, the, the Pharisees, and then a girl uh, is restored to life in the process of him going to there. A woman gets healed. Not that Jesus didn't have anything going on in this chapter, but then two more blind men were screaming at him, Jesus, son of David! And Jesus stops, and, and they touch him. And then the, in verse 32, when they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, a mute demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, it's never, we've never seen anything like this in Israel. But the Pharisee says he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. And then he comes to this moment, this moment. And so Jesus has ministered like crazy up to this point. And I believe that it says that, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, he remembered all of the things that he had just done. And he was like, now it's just not a leper, a demon possessed, a, a blind man. It's, it's a multitude of people while wow, this thing is getting unbelievable. So it says when he was moved with compassion for them, it, 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 there was already something so deep in Jesus's heart. Now, let me just tell you this. To become a laborer for the Lord, if you're going to actually say yes, like we sang in the song, there's got to be something so deep in your heart that is a compassion for people who don't know Christ. And if it is not there, there will not be a yes, it will be a no. Because the yes comes at the times where everything is inconvenient. So Jesus is in this place. And it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. See, what was happening to those people is the same thing that's happening across the earth today. There is a group of people, a large, huge group of people who are wandering around and they're being led by Pharisees, people who do not know the power of God in the church and outside of the church who are not bringing people to the place of recognition of who Jesus Christ really, truly is. 
And, and see, when Jesus was looking about these people, he was seeing a group of people that were being uh, 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 shepherded by Pharisees and Sadducees. See, what they were doing was they were ignoring everything that was happening in the earth at that time. None of the things that they had known from Old Testament prophecy was coming to life in them, but what they were doing is not wanting to lose their control over the people that they had. So these people, what did they look like? They didn't look like the ones that were healed in the last two chapters. They looked like people who were lost and scattered and wandering around. They were wandering like people who had bad leadership. The world is full of bad leadership. I'm not just talking in the church. I'm talking in households. I'm talking in schools. I'm talking in government. I'm talking everywhere the world is being led astray by bad leadership. And see, Jesus knew that. And he was moved with compassion because he was thinking that if I can just reach out, no matter what position I am in physically, and continue to touch these people, there will be a hope for them. They will then follow me, and life will be completely different for them. And Jesus did just that. It says that when he saw them, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep uh, who were weary and scattered. You know that you know the deal with sheep. If 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 there's a sheep in front of a sheep, they will just follow the butt of the last sheep. And they will just move. They'll move as if they have no shepherd, they'll move till their exhaustion comes and they'll just die. And that's what Jesus was comparing this group of people to. People that were going to move to the place of exhaustion and find no relevance for their significance or no significance for, for, for their life. And ultimately, they would just wear down to nothing. And Jesus was moved by that. He was, he was gripped by the idea that these people were being ruined under bad leadership. You know, it's easy to see why people don't want to be a harvester. Super easy. You know, in the Philippians series, Pastor Caleb whipped out all the Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff. But today, this is just kind of a gut check word. And I'm going to give you one Greek word for laborer. It means work. Okay? I'd like to pretty it up. I'd like to say laborer is the one that Jesus loves and covers and sends good tidings to and great joy. And everybody's happy. And we and pixie dust flew all over the, the sanctuary. No, it means this, work. When you're a laborer, it means you're a worker. That there is work to be done, that the kingdom has has uh, issues in it that, uh, or the world has issues in it that only the kingdom can solve. And in order to be a part of that solution, you're going to have to choose to be a worker. But it's interesting. You know, it's, it's simple to see why people don't want to be laborers. I'm going to tell you what, the pay is low. The pay is really low. You know, uh, it's interesting. 
If we could run a, you get 10 people saved this quarter, the next quarter you can only tithe 5%, there would be all kinds of people out taking, taking me up on that. You mean if I get 10 people saved the next quarter, I can only tithe 5%? Let me see, that's 200, that's 600 bucks, man, that's great. I'm in, I'll do that, that's my motivation. See, but that's not what you're being offered as a laborer. There's not that motivation to, to be able to do that. The work is difficult, and most people feel like they got too much going on already. So in order to, to, to be a laborer, you got to get out your, your, your day timer that you got everything about you and work and the kids' ball games and your time at Planet Fitness and the time that you're got three times a week that you're going out to eat. And boy, you got to squeeze Jesus in somewhere. I mean, you just got to, honey, how are we going to squeeze Jesus in this week? Sacrificing time and resources to assist someone in their journey just seems totally unappealing to a lot of people. What makes people motivated to do what God has gifted and called them to do? Second thing I want you to see here is that first, that Jesus and, and most people who minister, they get to the place to where this is not coffee, this is Dr. Pepper, so I don't need a lid. <laughs> Where was I? Most? Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, that didn't help me at all. So, but that was what I said. That, that just didn't help me, though. When we, when we look at, at the idea of, of where, what Jesus is talking about here, this, this stuff about what's going to be required for the kingdom to get to the, the next place that it needs to be, we need to understand something. There's a couple things that are going on here. One, we see you're going to have to minister to the place to where you're really tired, where it's inconvenient where they might knock on your door at 12 o'clock, or you might get that phone call because you opened yourself up to, to that kind of situation. But what, the other thing that Jesus is saying here is, is he is creating a culture change. This end of chapter 9 is creating a culture change in the church. And let me tell you something. Trying to create a culture change is not a popular thing to do as a pastor. We like it just the way we are. We don't want to do the things that you think we need to do. But Jesus was creating a culture change here. Why? What was happening now is, is that Jesus was getting ready. He was preparing these guys that they are now going to be laborers. And we're going to talk about this next week. But in Matthew chapter 10... Now what he does is, is that you've seen me do all of these things. Now I am sending you out to do these things. And so there's a culture change that's taking place here. It's not just Jesus that is going to be doing all of this work. He hasn't poured out the Holy Spirit yet upon people, but it, the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 10 that he gave them special power. We're going to talk about that uh, next week. But the whole idea is, is that there was a culture change taking place. 
And then when we get to Matthew 28, 19, about go, go into all the world and make disciples, now Jesus is, is refining it. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he empowers it. And then we see in uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter is the first light of that. In 2.14, Peter preaches a great message, one that Jesus would have preached to the multitudes. But now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says thousands get saved, but Peter now is on the persecution road. He, he preaches that great message. The next day or two, he, they, they get the guy healed, the paralytic at the gate that never could move. And then the next chapter, he gets attacked. See, being a laborer isn't a popularity contest. And so when we're moving into this culture change, you know, all those times Jesus said, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. But don't worry, because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world, so you don't have to worry about those who, but see, that's one of the things that keep us from being a laborer. We don't deal well with rejection. We don't deal well with rejection. So I've heard so many people say, well, I called my sister three times and shared the gospel with her, and I'm she just blew me off, and I am done with my sister. She blew me off. You know, I shared the gospel two times with my neighbor, and Fred is never going to come around. Fred is never going to come around if it depends on you. But thank God, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on the Holy Spirit going and speaking. And you are the seed that speaks that light and life into Fred. And then the Holy Spirit comes in. And then the next thing you know, he's standing in his backyard at the fence because you're across the street. And the other neighbor comes along, shares the gospel, and seals the deal. And you're honked off because Fred got saved by somebody else because you did all the work. It's not the way it works in the kingdom. So this idea of being a laborer is massively unappealing to people. But the truth is, is this, that in order to do what's going to be done for the kingdom, it's not only going to involve you, but it's going to involve other people, and you're going to have to sacrifice for it to come to pass. Acts chapter 11, then, we're talking about culture changes is when they start ministering to the Gentiles. I mean, things are happening here. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is very specific. Only go minister to the people in the house, the, the Jewish people. Only go out. Anyone else, stay away from them. I got a special deal for them. I don't want you screwing it up. It's not going to happen until Acts chapter 11. So I need you to stay where I call you to go. Because if you don't, I know you're not going to get this part right. What makes people choose to be a laborer? What makes people choose to give their life to the place to where when you sing songs like you sang today, it inspires you to, if you're out of the game, to get back in it. If you haven't been in the game ever, your heart begins to be rattled. What makes, what motivates laborers? That's a good question. You know, I've, I've met and seen some unbelievable laborers in my lifetime. 
One of the people that have preached in this church is a guy named Prem Perdam. And Prem Perdam shared his faith until he got thrown into prison. And then when he got into prison, he thought, I got a captive audience, so I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. So people are getting saved in prison, and the, the prison guards are honked off now. So the guy who ran the prison, they told the guards to throw Prem Perdam into the morgue where they keep the dead bodies. And while Primberdam was in the morgue, body fluids dripping on him, him talking to God out loud, Father, why have you brought me into this place? What have I done to deserve this? Can, can this be possible? And so he's carrying on this conversation, and the guard opens the door because he knows there's nothing but dead people in there, and he says, who are you talking to? And he says, I'm talking to Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my Savior about my circumstances. But since you've opened the door, let me tell you about Jesus. So he shares the gospel with the guard. The guard gets saved. And they realize not even the morgue and body fluids dripping on him can deter him. So they kicked him out of the prison and said, don't do this anymore. So what did he do? He did it more and more and more. What motivates a prim perdam to go to that place? Well, legend has it, he was one of the first spirit-filled Christians in all of Nepal. And man, he had an encounter with God. He had an encounter with God. What makes a Willard Jarvis leave a denomination where he's a rising star? where he started multiple churches, had a great church of his own, what motivates him to say, I can't labor in that field anymore because I had an encounter with God? You know, if, when you have an encounter with God, there's something different that happens in your life. Y'all ought to try it. Have an encounter with God. It's an amazing thing. Orson Vila, the Cuban Billy Graham. God touched him baptized him in the Holy Spirit, and he began to touch people, and, and people who needed fillings, they were getting gold fillings in their teeth. People who didn't have a tooth, he was praying, and a tooth was being formed. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good stuff, huh? I mean, that's good stuff right there. So he kept having these encounters and encounters, and so he started preaching from the corner of his house on top of his garage that we got to see. We, we were in his house. And he started telling us one week there was 20 people in the driveway. The next week there was 100. The next week there were 200. People were getting healed, saved, filled with the Spirit. Now the, the uh, police came, put a cease and desist order on. The next week 400 people came. The next week 800 people came. So did the police. If you don't stop, we're going to put you in prison. The next week, you, you know how this works. And so the next week they put him in prison. He was in prison, went in with a pair of jeans and a long sleeve shirt. And because he had to clean himself in doing his business, he came out with a pair of Daisy Dukes and a shirt that was half on him because that's what you had to do in that prison. No three squares, no uh, uh, personal shower, no toilet in your cell, no TV. And then what did he do when he got out? Well, let me tell you, he didn't get out on his own. The whole town went to the, to the jail and said, please release our friend. Life has not been the same since he has been here. 
So they let him out and they told him, don't you do that anymore. And so what did he do? He did it more and more and more. What motivates people to labor in that degree? What motivates a drug addict to get clean? And then after she gets clean, she's so thankful about that that she starts testing the waters and figuring out, I need to do something to give back to what God has done for me. And she starts a ministry called Let Our Light So Shine. And then for 10 years, a 10-year anniversary, come on, sister, for 10 years, she's been going to nursing homes. She's been going to food kitchens. She's been prayer walking Mount Vernon Avenue. She's been doing, what motivates a person to do such a thing? Only an encounter with God can bring people to the place where they would give their lives. Amy, that was so prophetic today when you started reading off those names. And I thought, sister, I got a whole nother list that I'm going to read out in my sermon today. Can I have the worship team come forward right now? Just a worship team come forward. I didn't even get to the first part of this message. Why did Jesus say in verse 38, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just say, you guys get out there and do the do that you've seen me do? Well, this is why. Because when Jesus got to this point, he had already done all of those things in 8 and 9 and came to another ministry situation that involved multitudes and he was smart enough to know how big the population was going to grow because he knew how much his father loved people. And so he said this, don't do that ministry by yourself. It's going to kill you. Don't do that ministry alone because you're, you're going to burn out. You're, you're not going to be able to, to carry it out. You're not going to be able to have the resources. You've got to pray that the Lord of the harvest would pray that people would come alongside of you to do those things. Now, I'm just going to make this point. Man, I promised I would be done on time because nobody else finishes on time. They all cracked on me because I preached too long. And what do they do? They go on and on. Here I am, following the leader. I love it. I know that. I know that. But I was good. Recently, I've been very good. Where was I? Millie? Come on, you got to help me here. Why do people do this? Why do we pray for people to come alongside of us? Why do we uh, get to the place to where we got to make a choice? Well, let me just say this, that we should never have to make an announcement when we have an outreach and try to beg 50 people to come and touch the community. That's garbage. I'm just going to be upfront with you. That breaks my heart. 
I mean, Dana and Leslie, you would not believe the work that they've done for this. There should be a line. There should be a line of people. Look at Dana. He's like, oh, pastor, you're blowing people up. I'm going to make a disclaimer. He did not ask me to say this. I'm just saying, it's a visual. I mean, my God, there's people going to hell everywhere around us. And if we can make a connection by giving out a piece of candy, let's do it. Let's do it with passion. Let's do it with fervor. Let's do it. Let's decorate. My car is going to be the best Buckeye car that's ever been in a trunk or treat in the history of trunk or treats. got to have an encounter with God to be a laborer. Otherwise it is totally unappealing to do this because it's got nothing to do with what you're going to get, you think. But once you start doing it, it becomes so amazing that you're knocking my door down to say, well, what about this outreach? Well, could we do this? Would you mind if I did that in the neighborhood? Could we do this? Can I pick up where Leslie and Dana left off? Can I take those prayer journeys and, and, and can I lead that? Can that be something I can do? I know I'm, I'm gifted to do that. I'd be glad to labor in that field. Oh, why did Jesus say in Matthew 9, 38 to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers? Because he's smart. He knows that there's going to be one of y'all that hops up and says, I'll do that. I'll do that. And you're going to catch fire and you're going to run out and you're going to work like crazy and nobody's going to be beside you and you're going to burn out. 31 years doing this. And I'm going to tell you what, I had an encounter today in worship. I mean, a massive encounter today in worship that said, brother, let me burn out some of the chaff that's bogging you down. I got 31 more years for you. Would you stand with me today? Oh. What makes a man turn down two tickets to get out of a refugee camp? Who does that? So excited, Mike, that you're going to get to meet my friend. I love when I can introduce my friends to my friends. You're going to be blown away. You're going to love him. Instead of seeing him on a picture like this big, you know. What makes somebody do that? To go back into the fourth poorest nation in the world because God's called him there. And boy, is God honoring that. He's not doing it alone. There's multiple people, multiple people. And you're, you're some of them. You guys are funding this, this guy's dream, his vision. We're coming together. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in the last song. And I just want it to just, I want it to marinate in your heart when you leave here. If I were you, I would click save and put the midweek email in a folder from this week and go back and let this worship manifest in your life over and over again. Let's all just prepare ourselves today as we just do this, the last song in the set.
okay? And I just want this to resonate in you, okay? This worship is a way that we just connect with God and, and he comes into our life. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the honor of being able to do what you called us to do as a church. And I know it's not popular. All the time, what I stand behind this pulpit and ask the people to do and to become, I, I get it. But Father, it's welled up in my bones. And I want everybody to see what it's like to have the honor of laboring for you and your kingdom. I'm glad that somebody prayed and somebody said something to me and somebody encouraged me and that somebody uh, stuck it out with me and then I got to become a laborer. Father, help us to do those things in people's lives as well. We just thank and praise you today. When you're done marinating, you can just go ahead and leave today. I love you with everything that's within me. And I am so excited for God to make you into a laborer in his kingdom.